You're listening to the Kingdom Culture Church Podcast. To connect with us, hop on social media or go to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. Good evening, church. Good to be with you again. We're just so excited. You know, obviously, we're excited about the news. We're going to bring back church on August the 2nd. That's going to be incredible as well. Um, I just can't express enough how much... Um, I've missed the worship and the praise and, and your presence in this place. You know, there's nothing like the presence of God and the worship of uh, the people of God to bring an atmosphere of faith when you're about to preach. But even so, we still want to bring and believe for the atmosphere of faith as I preach today the final um, instalment of our series of um, Remember, Seek, Find. Um, I'm bringing you the, uh, the second part in of Find. I know Pastor Fred preached this morning about a message on finding God, and I want to bring my thoughts and add those in to that. So the foundation scripture for this short series, Remember, Seek, Find, is Hebrews 11, verse 6. If you remember, it says, It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. So faith and hope need a foothold to work. To work. And, and often that foothold is the ability to remember God, our ability to remember God, to remember that my life has been touched all the way through by the favour and the goodness of a kind-hearted God, that he has a plan and a purpose for me and my family, for you and your family, and that what he started in me, what he started in you, he is well able to complete it and he will bring you and I safely home. And those thoughts, that thought should bring calm and peace to your and my heart and mind today. So memory... If you remember this, memory, the remembrance of God and his goodness, it stirs up faith in us. It should stir up faith. The response to faith being stirred in us awakens a desire to seek after God, to look for him, to desire him. It fosters, it nurtures, it increases our need for him. It causes a hunger and a thirst to grow in us for him. Because where I used to live, my life centred around everything to do with me. I allowed Jesus to come and be the centre of the Rob Porter solar system. There is a beauty in this relationship with a good God because in my feeble attempt to seek him, to know him and love him, he responds and he reaches out to me. Have you ever had that experience of walking up to someone's front door and you're, 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 as you're knocking it, knocking on the door, they open it? It's sort of a bit of a weird experience, you know, it sort of make, it makes you step back a bit. That's how God is with us. When we actually seek him, he's there to find us. Uh, he, he wants that relationship with us so much. There is an eagerness about God to bring home those who are seeking him. In fact, I have found this to be true, that his love often seeks me out and draws me close, even if my heart is distant from him. And one more thing, this is a God who could reject me for my sin. 
Yet the Bible tells me that he rewards me for seeking him. How good is that? How good is our God? He just blows our minds and blows us away. The purpose of the seeking is not to be perpetually seeking, though. Uh, how dissatisfying would that be if all we were doing was just seeking, seeking, seeking and never finding? This is why the, his promises are so good, because if we seek him, we will find him. We won't just be bumbling around in the dark trying to, trying to um, find him. There's a sense of coming home, a sense and feeling of belonging. In effect, there's an arrival point that becomes a place to launch the rest of your life of communing with God. When we find him, it's like a launch pad. It's not the end, it's the beginning of a new life in him. And we're going to have a look at that today. We read in the book of Acts, and I'm basing my whole message around this one passage. We read in the book of Acts of an encounter that Paul has with a bunch of Greeks uh, in Athens on Mars Hill, a place called Mars Hill. Um, They were professional, perpetual seekers. Uh, They were hedging their bets on all the known gods, and yet they were still dissatisfied. Acts 17, 16 to 31 in the message, it says, The longer Paul waited in Athens for Silas and Timothy, the angrier he got. All these idols. The city was a junkyard of idols. He discussed it with the Jews and other like-minded people at their meeting place. And every day he went out on the streets and he talked with anyone who happened along. He got to know some of the Epicurean and Stoic intellectuals pretty well. And through these conversations, and some of them dismissed him with sarcasm. What an airhead. But others, listening to him go on about Jesus and the resurrection, were intrigued. That's a new slant on the gods. Tell us more. These people got together and asked him to make a public presentation over at the Areopagus, where things were a little quieter. They said, this is a new one on us. We've never heard anything quite like it. Where did you come up with this anyway? Explain it so we can understand. Downtown Athens was a great place for gossip. There was always people hanging around, natives and tourists alike, waiting for the latest tidbit on most anything. So Paul took his stand in the open space at the Areopagus and he laid it out for them. It's plain to see that you Athenians take your religion seriously. When I arrived here the other day, I was fascinated with all the shrines shrines I came across. And then I found one inscribed to the God nobody knows. I'm here to introduce you to this God so you can worship intelligently. Know who you're dealing with. The God who made the world and everything in it, this master of the sky and the land, doesn't live in custom-made shrines or temples or need the human race to run errands for him as if he couldn't take care of himself. He makes the creatures. The creatures don't make him. Starting from scratch, He made the entire human race. He made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. He doesn't play hide and seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. 
We live and move in him. We can't get away from him. One of your poets said it well. We're the God created. Well, if we're the God created, it doesn't make a lot of sense to think we could hire a sculptor to chisel out a God out of stone for us, does it? God overlooks us, Paul goes on to say. God overlooks it as long as you don't know any better. But that time is past. The unknown is now known and he's calling for a radical life change. He has set a day when the entire human race will be judged and everything set right. And he has already appointed the judge, confirming him before everyone by raising him from the dead. And that was a long passage of scripture, but there's just some truths I want to bring out. I don't really have three points. What I do have is a question, a statement, and a final question. So, and neither of these questions or statement titles are, are very short. They're actually quite lengthy, but I, I felt um, really um, an, a, a, an anointing and a, a pre- the presence of the Holy Spirit on these things. Number one, question, do I find God or does he find me? You know, the Greeks that we read in this passage of scripture, they were philosophers. They loved debating these sorts of questions. Does do I find God or does he find me? They loved debating these sorts of questions. They were studiers of life, lovers of gossips, uh, gossip, and triers of every new fad, lifestyle, choice, religion. Um, in fact, just like people today, they believed if they could understand God, they could know him. If they could understand him, they could know him. They love to debate. And in their intellect, uh, intellectualizing they, and debating, they, God just, those seem to get further and further away from them because God can't be reduced down to a method or equation. He can't be known that way. And somewhere after all the debating is done, all the intellectual arguments are over. The Bible tells us the only way to find and experience God is to take faith by the horns and believe that God exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. And this is the great leveller in life. People who step out in faith find God. You know, whether our approach to God is, God, help me, or there just has to be more to life than this, we, we all, all of us have to land on the same runway We have to land on the runway of salvation through faith, a step into the known unknown. But these guys, these Greeks, they also wanted to cover all the bases. So they erected temples to all the known gods, but they also built one more temple to the unknown God, just in case there was a God that didn't know about him. They didn't know about and um, he got mad uh, because they'd missed him. You know, it's a little bit like um, they're doing all this stuff over here. You know, a bit like them uh, betting on on the roulette, putting a chip on every number on the on the table, and spinning the wheel, only to find God isn't at this table; he's over on that table. They were just they were just hedging their bets. If there was a God, they didn't want to miss out on him, but they really didn't know anything about him. You see, this God conundrum for them was a gamble. Paul says, "I see you even have a temple to the unknown God, but I've come to tell you about him." This all-seeing, all-knowing God 
doesn't need us to build temples to contain him. He doesn't need us to run errands for him. You know, he doesn't need you to pick up his dry cleaning. He doesn't need you to Uber Eats his Nando's order to him. He isn't contained by us, our temples, or even our churches. We are contained and held by him. In him we live and move and have our being. Paul tells them this is a God who wants to be found so he can enjoy us as much as we enjoyed him. Have you ever played hide and seek with really young children? You know, they just can't help but give themselves away. And I, I kind of think like you can imagine playing hide and seek in heaven. It would all be so pointless and so irritating because God will be constantly giving himself away by coughing or giggling or, you know, over here. Um, this is a God who wants to be found. And I think we have a picture uh, for some reason, so many people have a picture of a God who's impossible to know. And yet he so wants to be discovered and, and, and he so wants to be found by us. So not only does this amazing father want us to find him, he puts a desire in us to seek him, even when we've turned our back on him and are far from him. And then when our, our, silk guilt, uh, when our sin, guilt and shame should separate us from him, he sends his son to die in my place, bridging the chasm between me and God, and he brings me home. But Paul also says he provides the time and the space for living so we can seek him and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. This means that wherever you find yourself today, whether you find yourself far from God, whether you find yourself close to God, whether you find yourself lost but looking or unimpressed by God or unsure about God, you are in the ideal place to find him. This means that whatever your heart condition, whether your, your heart is cold but needy, maybe warm but indifferent, broken but hopeful, this is the time God is revealing himself to you. He has never been closer. He has never been longing for you more than in this moment. His desire for relationship with you has never been stronger. And the approach for us all, whether we consider ourselves intellectual or unsophisticated or indifferent, is the same of letting go of the known and accepting his offer of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So the answer to do I find God or does he find me is yes, but I'm not sure it particularly matters because if I'm with a group of friends on an adventure to cross the Sahara Desert and somehow I get separated from them for days and then my water runs out and then I come across a guy on a camel, uh, I'm not about to get into a debate with him about whether he found me or I found him. I'm just going to drink his water and be very thankful that he found me, even if I was stumbling in his general direction. Item two on the, out of this chapter. In finding him, we find ourselves and a whole heap of other stuff too. Now, throughout history, man has gone on a journey of self-discovery. It's not unique to today. 
This generally involves sex, drugs, rock and roll, food, intellectualism, religion, or mysticism, and generally a cocktail of all these things in varying amounts. And most people's journey of self-discovery doesn't really end where they hoped it would. Many people catch a glimpse of themselves in the great cosmic mirror and they flinch in horror and realize there has to be a lot more to life than just me. There just has to be. And I'm sure we've all set out on a road trip uh, to a new destination only to discover that when we got there, <clears throat> the place was nothing like the photos or the TripAdvisor reviews. Or <clears throat> as in the case of when we lived in China, The destination is like the photos, but you just can't see it because it's hidden behind an unimaginable side crowd of people, the likes of which you've never seen before. And I'm going to get the guys to put up a picture on the screen. And as you'll see, this is a picture of a swimming pool in China uh, in the height of um, summer. They had a heat wave, just packed, as you can see, with with people, like, it just, just can't move. And guys, if you can keep that photo up for a few minutes while I'm talking about it, that'd be great. I think we can all relate to this photo. For, for me, it's the ultimate introvert nightmare. I can feel my chest tighten every time I look at it. But, you know, just like this photo, sometimes we can feel like one of these children in the photo. Does God really see me in this crowd of humanity? Does God really see me? Does he really know me? Uh, you know, you buy a rubber ring like these kids have gone on. You buy a rubber ring of some exotic and design and colour so you can be an individual only to discover that there's, that there's only room in the pool. Um, there's not only, there's room for you in the pool, but everybody else has got the same type of rubber ring on. You're not, you're not really an individual. And there's only really room just to doggy paddle around and keep cool and survive. You know, but my Bible tells me that when I find God, he brings me into a large place. And that when we find God, we realize our purpose and our identity. In finding God, we discover ourselves. And it's that way round, not the other way round. In fact, Paul says in the scripture, he's not remote, he's near. We live and move in him. We can't get away from him. Another version is in him. We live and move and have our being. And it's, Paul goes on to say, God overlooks our ignorance and our sin as long as we don't know any better. But that time is past. The unknown is now known and he's calling for a radical life change. The truth is I can live and die in the smallness of my old life or I can walk away from my old life of sin and into the new life that Jesus Christ is holding out to me. And let me tell you what it's like to live a life with God where I live and move in him and can't get away from him. It's like I inherit a house that I had no right to inherit. And then I just get overawed that I'd be given this house, but I move into the house. And then I find that as I walk in through the door, there's just treasures and gold everywhere. But then I go into another room and there's even more treasure and gold, even better than the last one. And it's like that in God, we walk into different rooms, different seasons, and he just unpacks to us. He reveals himself to us and we never get tired of his presence. That's what it's like to live a life with God where we actually live in him and move and have our being. It, it, there is a satisfaction that comes living that way. And the radical life change that Paul is talking about, he knew 
the Greeks would understand to be, him to be saying, hey, you need to add this God to your collection of other gods, whereas Paul wasn't giving them that option. He was saying this unknown God is the only one, the only way, the only truth, the only life that you will ever need, and he demolishes all the other temples. He's saying he doesn't live in any temple that you could make him. Just the opposite. He asks you to come and live in him. And I know I'm addressing you know, church, mainly a, mainly a church full of believers, and yet I believe the Holy Spirit would challenge us today. Have you slipped back into trying to cram God into the temple of your lifestyle? Or are you giving yourself to a life of radical change? of living in him, in moving in him, in having your being in him. You know, the Holy Spirit is encouraging us today to move back in with God, to take up residence with him in his house. So in closing out, I need to make this point. In re- relocating to God's house, we find things that we thought were lost to us forever. Joy is restored. So is peace. Kindness is rediscovered. Hope, humility, a desire to love others. God adds back to us what the devil stole. What the devil took away, God adds back to us. And it all takes place when we make a change of address, an exchange of our current cramped, dark living quarters for his house of light and space. And so a question in closing. If I found God once, Then I lost him. Can I find him again? Another way of putting it is, is salvation a one-time offer? Let me say this. The Bible is full of people who tried to shake off God. The Bible is full of stories of the graciousness of God returning people to the path they were supposed to be on. Let's be sure of this one thing. The Bible is very clear. It says the Lord is gracious merciful, he is slow to anger and swift to bless. The story of the prodigal son, one of the most famous stories from the Bible, people who aren't even Christians know this one, has to be one of the most used story concepts in the world. Think about it, so many Hollywood movies are set around the theme of redemption, acceptance and people being reconciled to their families or parents. Luke 15 verse 20 says, so the young son set off from home Oh, set off for home. So he's moved away, spent all his inheritance, ended up with the pigs, is eating the pig's wool, suddenly comes to his senses and says, um, why am I living like this? I need to go back to my father's house. The servants are living better than I am. So the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming dressed as a beggar and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him and he swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly and kissed him over and over with tender love. What a beautiful picture. And probably the more relevant point is that God is really, really, really difficult to shake off. And the more relevant question is not about God's willingness to be found first time, second time, third time, but what's stopping you recommitting your life to Christ again? Is it pride? But what's stopping you coming back? Is it guilt and shame, even stubbornness? Are you really going to let your heart or your intellect lie to you about a God who is plenteous in mercy, slow to anger, swift to bless, 
This is the father who runs towards the son when he sees him coming. This is the father who runs towards the son who, who sees that his son is making an effort to come home. You can't shake off the truth that Paul talks about in Romans. Let God be true. And every man a lie. It's better to trust yourself in the mercy of God than it is to let yourself drift away from God in ever-increasing circles. You see, this is the father who tells us, tells the servants to bring the ring and the robe, even before the son has had time to clean up his act and take a shower. This guy was still stinking from the pig pen, and yet the father enveloped him in a robe and put a ring on his finger and said, you are my son. You might feel that you stink from the pig pen today. You might feel like, I I just don't feel close to God, but I'd love to pray for you in closing. I'd just like you to do something for me. I'd like you to just close your eyes and to just pray this prayer in your heart with me for a recommitment of your life to Christ. Father, I thank you for all these dear ones that are listening to you under the sound of my voice today. I thank you for those who have been touched by this message. I thank you for the power of your gospel of truth, that if, you, if people will seek you, they will find you. I pray for those that feel far from you. I pray for those that don't know you. I pray for salvation to visit their homes, their hearts, that they would know you in a new and living way, God. And Lord, those that have um, known you and yet gone their own way and wonder if there's a way back, Lord, I pray specifically for them today, that they would know your peace, they would know the drawing of your Holy Spirit, they would know the peace and assurance of salvation through you, that you never have ever given up on them and that you want them close yet again. Father, help them as they reach out to you right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you, church. Have an amazing week.